You may be seated. I'm going to say some things before we read the scripture. When I get there, we'll stand for the reading of the word. Let me say I'm pleased to be back with you today and uh, glad to hear that Gary's wife is doing well and they see he's having this time with his mother. Uh, that's a very important, as I'll indicate a little later. Uh, someone told me about a man who said to his preacher, now preacher, I don't come to church to have to think. When I heard that, I thought, well, you can't be a kingdom disciple if you don't think. Because one of the attributes of a kingdom disciple of Jesus Christ is that, that you think. Paul says in Romans 12, one in, verses 1 and 2, that we need to think with a transformed mind so that we'll know what God wants us to do. His good, perfect, and acceptable will. And what this means for us in practical terms is that we have to be willing uh, to think. But not randomly or not unintentionally. We need to intentionally realize that as Christians, God wants us to be thinkers. But in order, he wants us to think correctly. He wants us to have the right perspective about the things we think about, life in general, so we'll know how to evaluate them and analyze them and determine whether we're on the right track or not. So if you were to say, okay, well, how, how can I be sure that I have the right perspective as I think about things? Well, my answer to that is what you think needs to be consistent with what God's Word says. Because if you think things that are contrary to the word of God, guess who's wrong? <laughs> We've got to bring our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, I'm going to preach, the Lord willing, this morning and next week from, from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't think there's a clearer picture in the Bible uh, about a person who thinks one way and then he thinks another way and then he tries to think both ways and none of them really satisfy because only God's way will bring us joy and peace and happiness and hope. And that's the kind of things we're looking for. But if we're not careful, we'll, we look, we're looking for them in all the wrong places. Ecclesiastes the reason it's one of my favorite books is because it teaches us as Christians, we have three choices. First of all, you can, if you're a Christian, you can think like a Christian is supposed to think. But if you're a Christian, you can also not think like a Christian is supposed to think. Or, if you're a Christian, you can sometimes think like a Christian and sometimes not think like a Christian. And we see all three of those in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, why do we have the, those three choices? 
Well, because God gave them to us. And God gave us the freedom to choose from those, those three options. But of course, the right option is to be a Christian and think like a Christian. And whether you're a Christian or not, the, the only way that, that you'll be blessed and the only way you'll come out ahead is not to think like a non-Christian, but to think consistently about uh, from a Christian perspective, having the right perspective about life and uh, understanding from your Christian perspective what's going on around you. I read an interesting article uh, some time ago in the Atlantic Monthly Magazine, and uh, the name of the article was, Is God an Accident? Is God an Accident? The article develops the notion that when man was born, something went wrong with that process, and his brain was affected and went awry, and ever since that moment, he thinks about God. So, and this is a serious article, by the way. It's written by a psychology professor from Yale University by the name of Paul Bloom. And he espouses this idea that when you and I were born, we went through some malfunction in the brain and uh, we don't think clearly. That something's happened to our thinking and when we think about God, that's not the right perspective. That's a result of something going wrong with our brain. Now, don't laugh about that because it's, it's serious. There's a group of scientists that have developed what they call the religion is an accident theory. And there are numbers of people who follow that particular line of thinking. And they say that the notion of God and the notion of life after death is simply a result of our brain malfunctioning. And that's why we think about God and why we think about our life after death. And that's a prime example of non-Christian thinking. It's attempt to take some good things and twist them and explain away our belief in God as being accidental and not real. Now having said that, turn with me to Ecclesiastes 11 for our scripture. If you will stand with us. We'll read from God's word, Ecclesiastes 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to, to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow 
He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the Spirit, how the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know what, uh, which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know for all these things that God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. May the Lord bless our reading and our study of this portion of his holy word. Thank you. Speaking of this passage of scripture, I'm having a little problem with my eyes this morning, so excuse me if, I, if uh, that interrupts me. I want to go on the assumption this morning, as we've, you heard my introductory comments and read the scripture, I want to go on the assumption this morning that, that you are a Christian and that you want to think from the right perspective and be able to understand what God wants you to understand and do what you, what he wants you to do. And that's important. Because how we think about things, as the Bible says, determines how we live. And I, I like the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes because it helps us along with this. And so this week, we're in chapter 11. The Lord willing, next week, we'll be in chapter 12. And you'll see how it all plays out and how it, it all ends. But uh, it just challenges us throughout the book of Ecclesiastes to have a God-oriented perspective about life and the things that happen. For example, if we don't, chapter 1 starts out in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless. Life is meaningless. Some translations say vanity, vanity, life, life is vanity. But is life meaningless? Is that the writer correct in saying that life is meaningless? Is pleasure wrong? Is work wrong? How about money? How about physical health? How about physical attraction? How about time? Are those things wrong? Well, we see in the book of Ecclesiastes, we can surely have a wrong perspective about things that the final analysis can be right. But if we're not thinking correctly about them, we won't end up with that right perspective. 
And the, the writer of Ecclesiastes in the Hebrew, his name is Koholith. Um, he shows us the contrast between right thinking and wrong thinking as far as the view, view of life and, and the, the happenings are concerned. So it's a very practical book. I confess it's not an easy book to understand, uh, but it's, it's a very, very important book. And I think chapter 11, which I just read for you, is one of the great chapters in the Bible. I really do. While it's the shortest chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes, bottom line it says, if we want to please God in our lives, and listen to this, because this is what I want you to take home with you. If we want to please God in our lives, we have to make every day a good day. Yes, that's what it teaches us. To please God, we have to make every day a good day. And I tell you, God has preached this sermon to me over and over this week, and I've been working through the passage of Scripture again. I've taught the book of Ecclesiastes before, of course, but I needed this chapter, and I think that's why the Holy Spirit led me, led me to, uh, to Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. And, and I hope you do need this reminder, too. And uh, I've had to do a lot of repenting this week because I've been struggling with a lot of things in my life recently, and one of them is getting old. I don't know how to do that. And it's not a fun thing for me. <laughs> now, next week, we'll see how he's in chapter 12. How he says to deal with that. But today, let's, let's see what he says in chapter 11. There are things in this life, and then you get this from Ecclesiastes, that you can fit into one of two categories. One of the categories would be the certainties of life. And the other category would be the uncertainties of life. And then he gives us some ideas of what he's talking about uh, when... Uh, he uses those, those two categories. For example, in the certainty category, we will not always remain young. <laughs> that's a certainty. And that's one of my, one of my struggles. But that, that's one of the certainties of life. Youth is a time of vitality. That's a certainty. Old age, on the other hand, brings certain restrictions. And that's a reality. Disasters will happen. That's in the certainty category. There will be earthquakes. There will be storms. There will be wars. There will be the fall of the twin towers, things like the, the twin towers back in September 11th, a number of years ago. Calamities in life are certain. We can't avoid them. So we put those in the certain category. And, and what the writer of Ecclesiastes says, that we need to learn those things while we're young. That life does, does have those kind of things in the certainty category. And if we will learn those things while we're young... When, when we're old, we won't forget them, and we will remember them. 
because there's certainties. It's just a part of life. Then he has a category of uncertain things. Things like, we know we're going to get old, but we're not exactly sure when that begins. Now, according to the U.S. demographers, old age now begins at 81. Uh, Some of us have a few years to go before we get there, but uh, maybe, I don't know where you are right now, but... We don't know when old age begins. It's, it's not a definite, even though the, the U.S. demographers say it's 81. Well, we don't know when the disasters are going to strike. Right now, they're on the East Coast. They're, they're waiting to see what Hurricane Floyd is going to do. They don't know that. They've got some ideas. But right now, that, that's an uncertainty. We don't know when we're going to die. We know we're going to die, that's a certainty. But we don't know when we're going to die, that's an uncertainty. The question really is, how do we handle both the certainties of life and the uncertainties of life? Do we really know how to make every day a good day? Do we know how to think about and how to interpret the things that happen to us on a day-to-day basis? The article I referred to earlier said that the reason we think about God and we think about afterlife is because of a brain malfunction. As I said, that's a non-Christian thought, as you know. We think about God and we think about life to come because God put it in our minds and hearts to think about him and to think about life to come. So it's not a gloomy thing to think about life and the life to come. So when I face those two uncertain, uh, the two, two certainties that God, there is a God, there is life to come, I can think about those as a non-Christian and draw one conclusion, or I can think about them as a Christian and draw another conclusion. But in order to think about those things like a Christian is supposed to, we have to have what I would call a long-range perspective about life. From the Christian's point of view, we need to know how to look at life as a whole. We can't do that if we don't have a long view. If we just focus on the things that happen right now and don't have that long view of life, we don't know how to think about the things that are happening right now. We don't know how to make something that might appear to be meaningless Actually, a meaningful happening uh, in our lives. From a Christian perspective, then we need to know how to look at life as a whole and not in part. And that means we need to have a framework. A framework that will help us fit things into that framework as they happen, both the certainties... And the uncertainties. 
And when we can do that, according to the, my understanding of Ecclesiastes, then life is not meaningless at all. Life is full of meaning. Now, we may not fully understand the little things that happen along the way, but we don't conclude, if we're Christians, that those are meaningless things. Uh, a few years ago, before I left my job with the PCA, I edited a magazine called Equipped to Disciples, and I did book reviews in each edition. One of the books uh, I reviewed was entitled, How Can a Christian Faith Sustain the Life of the Mind? How Can a Christian Faith Sustain the Life of a Mind? It's written by Richard Hughes. Hughes uh, happened to be a professor of religion at Pepperdine University in Pepperdine, California. And uh, he was a professor, he is a professor of religion at Pepperdine University. And the book is about how the Christian mind can help you have a sustained view of life. And it grew out of a course that he taught the incoming freshmen at Pepperdine University. And, and he, he started out the course with, in order to know who you are, you've got to know that you're finite, that you're not going to live forever, that you're going to die at some point. And he said, you'll never understand life if you don't understand that. Because the Bible teaches that it's appointed unto man once to die. And we need to think about that from, from time to time. Which means that we have to look beyond ourselves at certain times. Thinking about we're not going to always be here. Though we live in a world that tends to tell us we can do what we want to do. Or be what we want to be or study what we want to study, we know in reality that that's not always the case. And so Professor Hughes says we need to know that we need God in our lives as well as other people. And you can't know those things if you're not thinking like a Christian. <laughs> then he says, if we think like a Christian, not only do we know there's a God and that we're finite and are not going to live forever, we can know that we're justified by grace through faith based on what Christ did for us on the cross when he suffered our, our, for our sins. And uh, so that was the gist of the book and, and the course that, that he taught the incoming Christians. Now, if, if we can learn anything from the book of Ecclesiastes, this is it. We have to begin with God. We have to start with God. We have to think about Him. And we have to think about eternity. And, and uh, the impression I get throughout the book is we think about eternity, not occasionally, but we need to be reminded over and over that our life is a vapor. Here today, it may be gone, gone tomorrow. Death is inevitable. And so that's in the certainty category. 
So we think of God and we think about eternity not because of some genetic malfunction or our brain going awry as a result of some chemicals that were in, in, induced during the pregnancy period or whatever. We think about God and we think about eternity. As, a, as the writer says back in the third chapter, God made everything beautiful in his own time. And he put eternity in our hearts. So that's how we think about God. And that's how we think about our life and how we think about eternity. Something happens in our, in our life or in the world. And if we're not careful, we'll conclude that's meaningless. I, I don't understand that. But it's not meaningless if we start with God and realize who he is. He's the sovereign God who controls all things that come to pass. Nothing happens outside the will of God. Which means in reality, there is no such animal as an accident. God controls all things that happen. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. That's what Paul also says in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Though I may not understand what's happening at the moment, I don't conclude that it's meaningless. Because it fits into the plan of God. The Bible teaches that God has a plan that includes us, a plan for our lives. And Ecclesiastes reminds us not to focus so much on the trees that we don't see the forest. He understands everything fully. We see through a glass darkly at this particular point. So Ecclesiastes reminds us we may not understand what's going on at a particular moment. Why my family has broken up. Why I lost my job. Why I developed this kind of particular sickness. Why I fell through the roof as Elliot did. <laughs> Why did that happen? It's not meaningless. Nothing that happens as far as God is concerned is meaningless. We know that God is sovereign. We know that he's in control. And we know he fully understands what's happening and what he's often doing in this world. And, and we can trust him because we know that. We learned it from a youth. And we don't forget it when we get older. And that, my friends, is the, is the prescription for how we make every day a good day. We know that our God is in control. He knows what he's doing. Not one hair of our head will fall to the ground without him knowing it. That there's no such thing as meaningless events in our life. Chapter 11 that, that we heard teaches us that overarching theme. And we need that framework, that overarching theme, starting with the premise that our God is a sovereign God who controls all things that happen. And what the book of Ecclesiastes does, and it does for me, is it helps me to remember that as I look at the different uncertainties and the, and the certainties that he refers to there 
And as I do that, I really can enjoy life. And God wants us to enjoy life. Not in some selfish, hedonistic way, but in a way that we know that our God loves us and He takes care of us and He's controlling and nothing happens in our life that ultimately is meaningless. Enjoying life, making it a good day, and I like this, is not an age factor. And that's what I like about chapter, one of the things I like about chapters 11 and 12 of Ecclesiastes. Whether I'm young or whether I'm old, I can know that God's in control. And I need to learn that while I'm young so I don't forget it when I get older. And that's why he says something to you young people in chapter 11 and you emerging young people and to us who are in the older category. To have an active faith, we have to be able to trust God and do exactly what he tells us to do. We need to fight the good fight and finish the race that he set before us. And just as God wants the young people in chapter 11 to enjoy life, but not to get carried away with it to the point you forget about God, he wants those of us who are older to enjoy life and not forget about God, even in old age. And so in that sense, his instruction is the same thing to the young and to the old. We know there is some difference, don't we, between being young uh, and being old. The older you get, life does begin to slow down some. We do tend to have a few more aches and pains. We do tend to have to visit the doctor maybe more often or the chiropractor, whichever whichever one it happens to be. Uh, And we may be tempted as we get old to just give up and sit down. Say, I've lived my life, can't do anything to enjoy life, so I'm just going to sit down, and I'm just going to hang out until God calls me home. But that's not what God wants us to do. Whether we're young or whether we're old, his instruction is to make it a good day, to enjoy life, and to realize that there's nothing meaningless that comes our way. So the message of Ecclesiastes 11 is to think like this while you're young so that when you're old, you'll remember. And then chapter 12, we'll see next week, the very first verse is, remember your creator in the days of your youth. You know, having been a pastor and a preacher and a teacher, I've, I've watched this play out in a number of scenarios in people in people's lives. I, I think about my mother, who about three years ago went, went to be, be with the Lord. My mother was a very gifted and talented woman. Uh, I, I envied her talents and wonder how I didn't inherit some of them uh, myself. But she, she really was. She... Uh, she played by ear, music by ear. She started when she was two years old 
playing in Sunday school, sitting in her sister's lap at two years old. (laughs) She was the organist and pianist for their church in in Winder, where, where I grew up. And she's also the organist and pianist for one of the funeral homes in Winder. And after my dad died, she lived alone for several years and continued for a while playing the organ and piano at her church and at the funeral home. But because of some eye problems, she had to give up her her, uh, organist and pianist role uh, at the church. She still played at the funeral home because they would come get her uh, for a particular funeral. But one day, my wife and I were visiting her after my dad died. She was living alone. She had an organ and a piano in in her home. And I asked her, I said, now that she's not playing at church, I said, Mother, you still playing the organ and, and piano? And she said, not as much as I used to. And I said, Mother, God gave you those talents. And he gave you the gifts to do that. You need to do it at home or or wherever you are. And bless her heart, she she heard what I said. Because not long after that, she moved into an assisted living home in Monroe, Georgia. Where she lived for eight years before she died. And every two or three afternoons a week, she would do about a half hour concert for the residents uh, there at the uh, assisted living home. So, so she used her talent. She used her gifts even as she was getting older. As a matter of fact, one afternoon she was playing for the residents and that night her colon ruptured and she died. She went to be with the Lord. But that afternoon she was playing And the interesting thing is, I have a recording of that afternoon's concert because one of the nurses videoed it and recorded it and gave it to us afterwards. So my my mother took this enjoying life seriously and and applied it to her situation. And uh, she really enjoyed being there and doing that for the residents. I have another friend, a past PCA pastor, whose 29-year-old son not long ago had a stroke. He was paralyzed. On that same day, we had a director of children's ministry in one of our churches on the way to the church that had a, had a serious accident and was paralyzed from the neck down and with serious stomach injuries. She didn't know that was going to happen. And one of my best friends was having devotions with his wife in the morning, sitting in their den, the phone rang, and his wife went to answer the phone. When she came back, Steve was dead. He had fallen over and had a heart attack. Life is full of uncertainties. But even the uncertainties are not meaningless. So that's that umbrella. That's that overarching mindset that we need to have. And now having looked at that, 
let's look at the particulars of chapter 11 for a few minutes. Starting with verse 1 and verse 2. And, and you're going to see some interesting things here in this chapter. In verse 1 and 2, he says, he talks about the stock market. <laughs> yeah, back in the Old Testament, he talks about the stock market. He says, we're going to cast our bread upon the waters, and after a time lapse, some of the bread will come back, but not all of it. Now, some commentators have tried to say that uh, the writer's talking about charity and giving, but it, it doesn't fit the context. What he's saying here is knowing that life has uncertainties, we're going to diversify our assets. In other words, whatever we have, we're not going to put our, all of our eggs into one basket, as we say. Being aware that there are certain things like disaster and calamity, some stocks doing better than others, we're not going to put all of our stocks in one place. We're going to cast them on the waters and some of them will come back to us. And he's talking about investments. Very practical book. How do we handle our investments today? How do we do our business deals? And, and he's talking about being willing to take risk. Being willing to take risk. Because we don't know what's going to happen in life. And his point is, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So be sensible and don't put all your eggs in one basket, he says. Remember, though, he said, let's keep things in perspective. Know how it is. Don't get caught off guard, he says. And then he illustrates what he's talking about so we'll get his message. He said, when the clouds are full of water, it rains. When a tree falls in the forest to the north or the south, there it will lie. Rain will come, trees will fall, but don't let that keep you from doing what you're supposed to do to make it a good day. And then he illustrates this further with a farming example. He says a farmer can't plant crops when it rains. He can't gather his cotton when it rains. And so he says, I'm not going to plant my crop until I know it's not going to rain. I'm not going to gather cotton until I know for sure that it's not going to rain. So he sits and he sits and he waits and he waits and he doesn't plant a crop and he doesn't gather his cotton. Certainly farming is a risky business. I I've marveled all my life at the farmers in our world. I really have. They invest big dollars in crops. They don't know whether those crops are going to turn out, are going to make, as they say, or not. But they plant their crops because that's what they're supposed to do. 
And they're not supposed to sit around and say, I'm not going to plant my crop until, it, until I know for certain that it's not going to rain. And what he's trying to, what he's saying to us is, don't give up on life as you get older. You know what you learned in your youth that God wanted you to do, and he wants you to do it as you get old. Look at verse 6. He says, in the morning you sow your seeds. The evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know what will prosper. So again, as you're getting older, don't give up on enjoying life. We don't know what crops will make. Yet we are to go on planting. And in doing that, we'll find reward and enjoyment in this otherwise miserable life. Remembering that God is in control. God is sovereign. You know, we teach our children from the child's catechism, who made you? God. What else did God make? God made you and all things. Those are the basic questions, kind of questions that we'll learn while we're young so that as we get older, we'll remember them and not depart from them. Then he uses another illustration. He uses the whole uh, beginning, the process of childbirth. He says, we do not know always what the results are of a pregnancy might bring uh, to a person. But we don't, uh, not to say, well, I don't know what would happen, so I'm not going to have, have a child. I'm not going to have children. Certainly, he says, we don't understand how God works in bringing together all those bones and toes and eyes and things in the body and the womb. And we don't know at what point God gives his spirit to that body. And we don't know whether we're going to have a healthy child or one that may have some problems. But we're not to cease having children just because the conclusion may be uncertain. And again, he's trying to paint the picture of what life is really like for us and what we're supposed to do. I don't think he's, he's telling us to psych ourselves up about life and be uh, indifferent to what goes on around us. I think he's just trying to tell us life is not meaningless. No matter what's happening to us, it's not meaningless. If God is our God and we know him, we know that what happens to us in either category is according to his plan. And we know that our God can work all things together for good to those who love him. Life is full of uncertainties as well as certainties. There will be hard times. There will be calamities. There will be disasters. We will have periods of frustration and, and sickness. But as I think like a Christian about those things, I know I can survive. Because my God, because God is my God, and my life is, is in his hands. I can't let the setbacks that I may encounter in my life rob me from the joy of living. 
And you see what Koholith in this chapter is doing. He says, if you can't do that with planting crops and rain and uh, picking cotton and rain and having babies that we don't fully understand what might happen, you'll never be able to, to enjoy life as God instructs us to do. So what Ecclesiastes 11 does and why I like it so it's, it's like the writer says, okay, Charles, put on your thinking cap. But think like a Christian about life so that you don't draw the wrong conclusions. Take the long view and realize you may not understand every particular thing that's happening to you right now. But God does. And it's not meaningless that's a non-Christian view to draw that conclusion. So having said all of this, what are you thinking? Oh yeah, Charles, that sounds good. I want to enjoy life. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start tomorrow as a, like a New Year's resolution. I'm going to start really intentionally enjoying life. Tomorrow, you may not have a Tomorrow. We start that today. We enjoy life today. We don't put it off and we don't wait. And we can do that, friends, if we take that long view. And we think about God. And we realize that who we are and that what God has in store for those of us who trust him. And you know, I'm so glad that I can know God and know that my life it's part of his plan. But as I was thinking about this, being a preacher, a teacher, you know what makes me even a little gladder? <laughs> Is I know that God has a plan for your life as well. And it's not meaningless. Isn't that great? Our life is not meaningless. What happens to us is not meaningless. So, let's join together. You pray for me, and I'll pray for you to do just what God instructs us to do in Ecclesiastes 11, to make it every day a good day. And then we'll see the rest of the story next week as we look at chapter 12. You might want to read that in preparation for the rest of the story next week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's realistic. Even when we struggle with it and have a hard time doing what you tell us to do. But we're grateful that you said I'll be your very present help in time of trouble and need. You'll give us the strength to do what you've instructed us to do. I need your strength, Lord. We need your strength. Because we want to be obedient. We want to enjoy life. We want to make every day a good day. We can't do that without you. But we're grateful that if God be for us, who can be against us? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close our...